From Connects Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. By now, there's hardly anyone in Atlanta that doesn't know what Tiny Doors is. In case you've been living under a rock the last few years, Tiny Doors ATL is an art project bringing magic to spaces around the city. The miniature doors are sculpted by artist Karen Anderson Singer and transform what was once just a wall into a community space of intrigue and wonder. Today we talk with Karen about why she felt inspired to start this project and how it's bringing our city together. First off, thank you so much for joining us today and, and giving us some of your time. Um, something I do like to ask people off the bat though is if you bump into somebody on the street and they ask you, what do you do, Karen? What is your, what's your answer to them? Oh, that's a good question. If they say, what do I do? Um, I usually say I'm a sculptor um, or a street artist. But if you say you're a street sculptor, it usually leads to a much longer conversation. So it depends. But I'll, I say that I'm an artist or a sculptor. Yeah. So take me back a little bit to when art first became important to you. When did you first start to discover that you had this thing inside of you that was like, hey, I'm, I really would love to express myself in this certain way. When did you start, when did you start uh, feeling those, those feelings and when did you start exploring uh, art as, as kind of a, a hobby or even, you know, the beginnings of what you thought could be a career? You know, at the risk of being a cliche, I have always felt that need to create. It was something, I think modeling clay is the first thing I remember really feeling like this is my thing. Yeah. I got some of this like modeling clay that they use to make um, the kind that never dries out. They do stop motion animation. And I was a kid and I got some primary colors of this clay and it wasn't like Play-Doh and it didn't feel like a toy. And even though I was young enough that it definitely was a toy to me, I could feel that it was an art material. And I started to mix the colors. And that's when I felt like this was my thing. When I realized that I had the power to make green, it really changed my world. I was like, I asked for every, every holiday after that, I would just wanted more modeling clay and I only wanted shades and primary colors. And I, now that I think about that, I can't, you know, a seven-year-old saying that to you, you're like, yeah, that's why nobody in my family is surprised that I went into art. But I was like, no, I don't want you to buy me purple. I need to make the purple. Mm. <laughs> and I think that that was my real introduction to this being something that yeah. I knew I wanted to do. Yeah, we talked to a lot of folks about the creator gene you know, and just and yep. for some people it's binary, either it's there or it's not. And it seems like for you, it's just there, you know, it's kind of always in been my part family, of what you've done. Yeah. I think that's well said in my family. They used to call art the family curse, I think mm. until me, because everybody kind of wanted to go into the arts and then did something art adjacent. They're mm. designers and builders like design homes, build homes, carpenters, but nobody straight up went into art in generations since my yeah. great grandfather, who was um, 
a photographer. Hmm. Gotcha. And I, I read a little bit uh, in prepping for our conversation. You're not from Atlanta. You, you are, uh, you're a braver of a little bit colder weather, I, <laughs> yeah. I hear. So tell us about where you grew up and then, uh, you know, kind of how that, uh, that creator gene, like we talked about, how did you sort of pursue that, you know, moving forward to make sure that that was going to be something that, that you could really hone in on and, and make a living out of? Yeah. So I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, that's where I went to high school. I lived there for 10 years. Originally, I'm from a smaller town north of that. Okay. Um, that town was very conservative. Not a lot of arts. I was uh, the founder of the Gay Straight Alliance my freshman year of high school there. And that was the last year I spent in that town. Mm. I went to live with another family member in Ann Arbor after that. Um, and I went to a small arts-based public high school. There aren't a lot of them. So it wasn't a private school. It's a public school with an arts focus. Yeah. For instance, we weren't allowed to wear shoes in the gym because it was for dance. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they, that's why they had go. that floor. So, you know, that school really helped me to not feel alone in being an artist. A lot of people I went to school with are artists now. Um, I think Andrew WK was a few years ahead of me. Wow. But yeah, it was so it was cool to not feel alone to that stark contrast that happened when I went from the small town to this great arts high school in Ann Arbor. And then um, after high school, it was September 11th happened. College just I didn't want to be in a big city. Mm. I just felt like I wanted to kind of do my own thing. Felt like maybe college wasn't for me right then. So I joined a punk rock band and I toured for a few years. And this is a, you know, this kind of thing is something that I hear from artists who have something that speaks to them. Like clay and sculpting has always spoken to me so much so that I didn't value it. Hmm. It's like, if you, if you're born to do something and it comes easily to you, you just don't value it the way that you do when, when you work harder. At least that was my experience. I was like, well, maybe I'll play music. It was really hard for me to play music. Mm. <laughs> I had to work really hard. What did you play? And I played bass. Okay. And it, it was, you know, and I played in this band for four years. We toured, we had a great time. We recorded a bunch of albums. Um, and then I was with people in that band who are musicians through and through the same way that I feel when I have clay in my hands. Yeah. You know, and I was like, what am I doing? I mean, I love these guys and this is fun, but I'm, there's never going to be something that comes out of me here that feels the same way that it does for them. It's, I don't wake up in the morning and go to bed at night writing songs like they do. Um, so after four years, I went off to New Jersey and I went to art school. And while you're at art school, are you, did you go right back to, okay, Clay, how do I uh, pursue this passion? Or were you more so <laughs> trying to just figure out, okay, is it just Clay or is it something else that I want to pursue? What was that experience like for you and how did it sort of aim you in, in a certain direction? I kept, that's such a great question. I kept doing the thing where you avoid what you're good at. I kept, I was like, oh, photography, oh, painting, design. I did everything, um, but ceramics, I loved 
having clay in my hands. I liked design because it was a lot of three-dimensional sculpture. Yeah. So it, it really, you know, I did a little bit of everything. I didn't have to pick one particular concentration, which I'm grateful for. Sure. So it was mostly painting and photography. But it felt like where I should be, even though I was older than the other kids because I had taken that time off in the band, it still felt like where I should be. Yeah, that's cool. So when you graduate school, this is the question we all ask ourselves is after graduation, it's like, okay, spent this money and I've mm -hmm. spent, spent this time, you know, mm -hmm. there's almost that pressure of, okay, one, you know, either, either got to pay off these debts or, or two <laughs> need to immediately find that dream job. You know, I think is a lot of us that, that go to school now, as we think the first thing we do is ha has to be the thing that we're going to do forever. Did you mm. feel that? And what did you, uh, where did your career point you right after, after college? You know, I'm so grateful that I took the time and just disappointed my family right away. <laughs> I recommend it. I recommend dashing all their oh, dreams man. by joining a punk rock band. Amen. Because <laughs> it really just takes the pressure off. Sure. I paid for my own college education. It nice. was only me I had to disappoint. Mm. You know, it was like, well, I moved to Atlanta. I, um, I volunteered for a girls rock camp, taught bass, taught their um, design programs. Yeah. Had a great time doing that. And I decided not to take an art teaching job. I had an offer here. Um, with a great program and I took a nanny job instead hmm. because I wanted to focus on creating the art that I wanted to make. Hmm. And I knew that if I was focused on teaching kids art, that's the art I would make. And that's the art I would think about. And I'm not, I didn't want to be an art teacher. I wanted to be a professional artist and I really didn't care how long it took. Hmm. Just really didn't care. At that point I was 30. <laughs> I was like, so it takes another 10 years. <laughs> okay. I'll just keep trying stuff until it works. And it just happened really fast. Why Atlanta? Um, it's a, it's a love story. I, <laughs> I was living in New Jersey and I met a girl who was on tour with a band I went to see. Hmm. And she was the founding director of Girls Rock Camp. So when I graduated, I came down here and volunteered and um, yeah, we've been together ever since. Gotcha. So she picked Atlanta and I picked her and I'm so grateful that she <laughs> picked Atlanta. <laughs> the stars aligned on that one for that you. That worked yeah. out. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you get to Atlanta and you know, you, I like that you said you made that conscious decision not to teach at first and to kind of make ends meet in whatever way you could. Um, yeah. Another way to really horrify your family is to turn down a steady job. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Hey, you know, you are not the first person on uh, the podcast to be a great disappointment to your parents. I'll tell you that. So <laughs> you're in great company in that regard, but uh, um, I know you're not a disappointment any longer though. Um, but we'll get oh, to but that. I had given up. <laughs> <laughs> you had given up? I had given up. Yeah. No. So like you said, you wanted to make that room for yourself to create. Um, I'm interested to know those first, you know, few months um, or even year after you get to Atlanta and you've, you've provided yourself this window um, with the, these other things that you're doing to, to start to create things that you want to create. 
Um, you know, a lot of people uh, in the video production world that I'm, I'm in, people will tell you a great way to get started is to create the things that you want to get paid to create. Yeah. So what, uh, what kind of things are you creating right off the bat? Where do you, where, what are you sort of reaching for um, as far as uh, the things that you're spending your, your spare time on? That's really well put. I hadn't put it, heard it put like that with the create the things that you want to get paid to create. It's so yeah. smart. So I really like um, using scale and I really like that the interactive part of mm. art. That is fascinating to me. And so I started doing whatever I could that I wanted to get paid to create. Yeah. I didn't start at all thinking tiny doors would be the thing, honestly. I started when I first, I don't tell this story very often. Um, when I first got here, I started making these postcards that looked like a three-dimensional slice of cake, like an, ex like an exact replica of a slice of cake, but you could mail it, totally flexible. Yeah. I would send, like sent it. So you would open your mailbox and it would look like there was a slice of cake in there and then you flip it over and there's a postcard. <laughs> I don't know. I was just working yeah. with sculpture, working That's with something. That's an awesome idea until you get somebody like me that would just be so disappointed that it wasn't an actual piece <laughs> of cake. <laughs> it's a really good conversation piece though. You just For put it sure. on your bookshelf. For sure. So I made those. I was trying to get a copyright. I was working, you know, I was just trying whatever I liked doing that I thought there might be a market for. Yeah. That tiny doors was not the thing I thought there would be a market for. Hmm. I just... I have always loved and enjoyed public art. And in Ann Arbor, there are fairy doors. They weren't there when I was growing up. Uh, I think they started going up when I was in the band. And so I didn't, it's, I didn't love them as a kid. I saw them as a young adult. And as someone who wasn't super into fairies or gnomes or elves, that wasn't what spoke to me, but I loved the miniature aspect. And sure. I loved the interactive aspect the fact that people came to town just to see them. I was like, wow, that's cool. Mm. Like, it's cool that there's been this culture created around it. Yeah. Even though it doesn't feel like it's for me, it still is really neat. And then when I was here, you know, looking around, I live near the Crog Street Tunnel, which if you haven't been there is, you know, this gorgeous hundred year old Amazing. train yard yeah. underpass. It's living art all the time. Sure. And in Ann Arbor, the closest thing we had to that was the rock that the sororities and the fraternities painted. I had never seen anything like this bridge. Yeah. So I was like, well, what if I made a door and put it there? And what would, what would happen? And I assumed it would get painted over, you know, because everything there gets painted over. So I put in this door and I thought about, I had taken social media for artists in college, and I just thought about what it would mean to just make it something that reflects the city rather than being about fairies or gnomes. Like, what if I just didn't tell people, I let them decide. Yeah. So it sounds silly to say it now, but at the time it was like a big leap, you know, like this is a, this is a door that isn't for fairies. <laughs> it's just about a tunnel. I was like, okay. Um, so then I thought, well, I'll just call it, I had a friend who was with me and we talked it back and forth and I was like, well, we'll just call it tiny doors, you know, just see what happens. So I just put the hashtag tiny doors ATL there for people who found it to find each other. I didn't start the Instagram for at least six months. 
I just put it there and let it be. And that, and then I went back to making cake postcards and nannying. <laughs> and I drove by it every day and stuff started yeah. accumulating. It was like one day I was driving and I, and I walked up to it and there were little tiny pumpkins that were there. And I was like, oh, okay. Somebody made little jack-o'-lanterns. And one day I stopped and got out because I saw something white next to it. And I was like, oh, is it a napkin? What's over there? And it was a tiny Atlanta Journal-Constitution about the tiny door. Wow. And I think I started the Instagram the next day. Yeah. Just to sort of keep track of. Yeah, pardon me. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. So yeah, the, you started the you know, Instagram the, the next day. Yeah, I started the Instagram just to see what it was like because that hadn't happened before either. I was like, well, what is the Instagram? I don't want to be the voice of who's behind the doors. Like that seems kind of hokey to me, you know? And I also didn't want to be just myself because this isn't about me. So what is this Instagram? <laughs> that was, you know, finding a voice for that. You know, it all has been a long process of listening to Atlanta, really. Yeah. Tell us uh, for those that haven't seen the, the first door. Tell us about the first door and what kind of your inspiration was for it. Sure. So the first door is a standard. It was a seriously a wooden dollhouse door. I don't put wood on the street anymore, but the first one was a wooden dollhouse door that I put in with cement and it had some graffiti style writing that said Krog. Hmm. I was just trying to make it look like it belonged. Yeah. And since then it's evolved and all the doors, I really try to have them feel like they belong to their neighborhood. And to feel like it belongs to the Crog Street Tunnel, it needs to change. And in most neighborhoods, that's not true. But at the Crog Street Tunnel, it needs to change. And so yeah. over the years, I've featured half a dozen artists, at least, as collaborations where we, you know, they help design what the door looks like. Right now, it is augmented reality. And it, um, so if you scan it with your phone, it's a collaboration with Lotus Heaters Club and the whole thing comes to life. As far as I know, it is the only miniature street art that is also augmented reality. <laughs> That's super cool. So the, the community starts to respond to this piece of art that you've created. Is that the moment where you kind of thought to yourself, okay, maybe we're onto something here or what prompted to go from this one piece of art that, like you said, was not your goal to create a series of these things to, hey, there's an appetite for this. There, I enjoy doing this. What, what bridged the, the gap to, to go from one to, hey, let's start doing these in different spots and creating a, a series out of this? I think what really made the leap, I'm glad that I studied a lot of art history because I realized that if I was going to do more than one, I needed a philosophy. I needed a reason that I was doing what I was doing. And it, it's not because I needed to publish some sort of tiny manifesto, but because <laughs> I needed to make decisions and they needed to be founded in something. And so immediately I decided, okay, all of them are going to be, if they have a number like door one, that will be free to visit it'll be public and it'll be wheelchair accessible. It'll be somewhere safe to send people 
you know, as in you could bring a wheelchair and you're not going to fall off the side of the tunnel kind of thing. Um, and that I didn't want them to be advertising for anything. And all of that has added up to making choices along the way a whole lot easier. Hmm. So, and they right now for the last few years, cause this is gosh, almost seven years ago, we're talking about now um, in the last four years, it's been invitation only. So I don't reach out to places. I only go to new neighborhoods and also institutions by invitation. There was, there's one that I can't say which one that I've been waiting and hoping and they emailed yesterday. <laughs> it's like, thank you. <laughs> because talking someone into a tiny door is impossible. They have to want it. <laughs> you can't call yeah. someone and go, Hey, do you want a tiny job? <laughs> and do you want to pay me to do it? Yeah. But on the flip side, when somebody sees it and decides they want one, you, you, there's no sales job to be done there. You know, it's like, also that it takes yeah. the sales out of it. It really, sure. hopefully, hopefully they see my other work and they go, okay, you know, we trust that she can get to the essence of what we want. And yeah. they're all, they're all collaborations, especially the ones that you see on the institutions like State Farm Arena or Center for Puppetry Arts. There's so much of what they want yeah. because they show me around, they tell me what they stand for. And I really try to create a piece of art that represents that. Yeah, no, that's a great segue too. that. I was going to ask you about the process for you of, uh, of creating these, you know, whether it's by invitation or inspiration on your part you know as you started to do these over and over again what process did you kind of come to that worked for you to to best like you said uh make these pieces of art reflect the neighborhood that they're going into i think that a good way to for me to sort of segue into that is to tell you what went into listening so the second door door two is a rainbow door it's on the belt line Mm -hmm. And I have spent at least a hundred hours repairing that door. It gets wow. so much, so much, I don't know what the word I should use is attention. We will call it <laughs> um, from various yeah. types of yeah. people. And most people are awesome to it. Mm. That's how we'll put that. So it, uh, I've sat there for about a hundred hours just working and people will walk by and even you know, six years ago, sitting there listening, people would walk by and they would go, oh, that's the tiny doors lady. The tiny doors are all over, they're hidden all over Atlanta. And at first I got really defensive because there were only six and they weren't hidden, they're right in your face. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, they're not everywhere. Why do people keep saying they're everywhere? And, and I don't know why it offended me. I think because I purposefully tried to keep them special and I felt like they were saying that they weren't because they were everywhere. Um, and then I realized that that is a compliment and that it really means that I can go slowly. Yeah. If people can see six and feel like they're everywhere and they're hidden, yeah, what they're that tells me yeah. is that they have the impact and that yeah. I can go slowly. So sometimes I do two or three you know, public outdoor installations a year. It really, yeah. I'm in no rush to coat Atlanta with tiny doors. And so that process is different for everyone because I take my time. Sure. I really do. I really like, they're all by invitation. So for instance, Grant Park, 
um, was four years ago. There's a woman who reached out and she said, okay, I live in Grand Park. I've lived here for a long time. We, we need a tiny door here. I want to make it a memorial to these people and a tribute to those people. And it wanted to look like this. And I was like, none of that, but I would love to do a tiny door for you. <laughs> We're good friends now. So I feel okay telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't do tributes. I don't do memorials mm. because then it becomes when they do get stolen and vandalized, which they all do. Um, it, it becomes a slight to those people and to that institution. And I'm just, we can't have that. Sure. So we talked a lot about it. We got Grant Park's input. It was a long process. We ended up talking to the city council person for Grant Park. And she said, well, you can't just do it on this side of the park and not the other side because that side will feel slighted. They feel like this side always gets the good stuff. <laughs> city so Park. they have two. Love it. Yeah. And they all have their own story like that. Sure. Sure. You know, it's really, it's funny because I always know when I get there, whether a door goes there or not, because I don't want the door to be the only thing that's special when you get there. Hmm. You know, I want you to get there and go, oh, this is such a cool spot. It really, I'm just trying to lead you around to appreciate what's already awesome about yeah. Atlanta. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, you've done so many at this point that we can't talk about all of them, which I would love to, <laughs> but tell me what's your, what's the number now? How many are you up to? 21. 21. Awesome. And about, I think 30 that are private. So okay. 21 that are public and on the map. Gotcha. And then 30, 30 total, including ones that are private or 30 that are just private? 30 that are just private. Wow. I didn't realize that. That's amazing. There's one behind me right here. This, uh, this one's going to Brooklyn tomorrow. Nice. Nice. Well, that's cool insight. So like you said, you know, so much goes into the, the front end of deciding what this piece of art is going to be. Um, and, you know, you talked about the installation. I didn't realize the maintenance, you know, that you have to, you have to do on these, especially the public ones that, like you said, anyone and everyone that wants to see it is it can and is going to. And, mm -hmm. you know, in Atlanta, where we have such a growing um, street art community, I'm sure, mm -hmm. you know, people take their, their, the liberty to add to or subtract from things um, mm -hmm. that are public art. I mean, art. the rainbow really does take, take the most of it. Yeah. Sure that's the the maintenance is a huge part of the mm. commitment and that yeah. is something that i take into account for all of them for sure yeah no, that's right and i'm sure that's gone into just sort of evolving the way uh you choose exactly where they go and how you're building them and and all of those things but uh i'm curious karen so you know we talked about you know, that interaction that you heard, you know, or the, the interactions that you would hear people saying, oh, these are all over Atlanta and mm -hmm. really cool. When somebody sees a tiny door for the first time, um, what is, what do you hope to elicit um, with, with these doors and, and most in, let's say the bulk of the people that see them, what are you hoping they take away from that experience? What did you think the first time you saw one? Um, 
I think to me, I thought I had heard, I'd obviously seen some stuff on Instagram that led me to one. So I had a little bit of background of what it was. Um, so my impression was probably a little clouded by that, but I think why I took the leap from Instagram to going to see it was, okay, I want to appreciate the detail and the intricacy that went into, like you said, uh, scaling something, you know, that, that a typical artist would do on a large scale and, and see what they did on a smaller scale. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for you, it was about appreciating the art that an artist right. had made. Yeah, definitely at first, but I, I certainly over the years observed what you're talking about with, we got to make these things look like they belong where, where they're placed. And so that's something that I've come yeah. to really appreciate over the years, but definitely my first impression was, wow, look at the intricacy and the detail that's gone into this piece. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that with me. Yeah. That's, that is, I think I don't ever have one goal in mind. Mm -hmm. I want to make it something that's accessible for everyone or as many people as possible. Yeah. I want there to be that aspect. You know, that brings me absolute delight to know that you went there to see the art by an artist. Yeah. <laughs> Most people who see them, see them accidentally. Sure. And so that's also my audience are these people who are going to wonder what it is. And I want there to be something on the surface for them hmm. that just is an immediate give. Like they can take away this moment of, oh, look at that. <laughs> and whatever moment it transports them to. And then I want there to be something greater that they can find if they want to. Oh, okay. Who's this artist? Oh, here's the Instagram. There's a map. There's more. There's a whole philosophy here. You know, you can dig in, but it's kind of like when you hear a song you like on the radio, you know, and you could just like that song or you could dig in and find out more about the band. And maybe you like their other albums. I don't know, but I kind of treat them like that. Like they, I want, it to be something that's approachable and accessible and that has more to offer you, but also you can just enjoy the surface of it. You can just look at it and go, that's the tiny door in Grand Park by the fountain. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to know that, you know, there's a transom deliberately in that door because most doors in Grant Park have a transom because they were all built in the same time period. Like you don't have right. to, but it's there for you if you want. Yeah. And you know, the other part of it is I really make a strong effort to keep it a blank canvas for imagination. So for instance, at the center for puppetry arts, it doesn't say puppet door. It's just a door that kind of, if you squint looks like the face of a puppet, but it's for everyone. And I also try not to put as much, you know, a lot of English, like you don't really need to be able to read to appreciate them. There are all kinds of things like that that pop up. The one on the front of State Farm Arena spells ATL. But you don't, if you're not looking for it, you might not even notice that. It might just look like some architecture. Yeah. But the door itself is between the T and the L. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. So I want to, by way of encouraging other creators and artists to, to do exactly what we talked about before, you know, create the thing that you want to get paid to create. Mm -hmm. How has this led to opportunities for you, Karen, um, you know, on something that was just, you know, a passion project at first and now how has that become, you know, a significant part of your career and your ability to, to make a living and, and grow 
as an artist? How has Tiny Doors done that for you? Oh my gosh, I, I owe it all to Tiny Doors and honestly to Atlanta uh, for believing in it. I really think that this project can't be replicated in other cities hmm. because Atlanta has made this project. I mean, you could do another project, but yeah. Tiny Doors ATL belongs to Atlanta for, for believing. Um, I think that the opportunity for me has been in going with the flow of it. I know that sounds sort of lazy, but it, it has, as a planner, you know, as someone who wants to know and likes to think about things in the future, I've really had to sit back and go, what, what does Atlanta want now? What do I want to make now? How can those two things work together? You know, and it's tricky because people will tell me, like, oh, you know, you need to do one that's for this cause and one we want one that looks like a TARDIS and we want one that looks like, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> but I really think that what Atlanta wants is to highlight its own institutions. I think in the long run, what Atlanta wants is to pres preserve what makes itself cool. Mm. What makes us unique. Anybody could have a door from their favorite TV show, but Atlanta can have a Fox Theater door. Yeah. And that to me has been a really cool opportunity to have a re an artistic relationship with this city. The other cool thing has been businesses noticing this. And then most of the time when I talk to businesses like Coca-Cola, they called me in 2019, I did a campaign with them where if you scan the QR code on a Coke bottle, it led to a scene that I created for them for the whole summer, Coke, Dasani, and Fresca. And it was, what was so exciting for me was it was a huge opportunity. And also they were asking for my art. They didn't call me and ask me to fabricate something they had already sure. dreamt up. They called because the executives saw the giant door. <laughs> they wanted to have, they wanted to work with that artist. And that has been really mind blowing to me that they don't, that companies call artists and not just fabricators, mm. you know? So MailChimp, I think I just finished my seventh project with them. You know, that's wow. been really, really cool is companies calling because they, they want my art to look like my art. And I know that yeah. might sound silly to say, but as yeah. an artist, that's a dream. That's such a dream. I love that you just named two companies that were built and founded in Atlanta too. Like mm -hmm. this, the, those companies appreci appreciating that what you've created has become part of the culture here. Like that's, that's I mean, a what an honor. easy thing. Yeah. How it's does it, such an honor. What does that do for you? Just, just thinking about that. Like these two companies, you know, multi-million dollar corporations that are, are at the core of what Atlanta is see what you've done and say that aligns with our values that says Atlanta culture. We need, we need, we need to do something here in collaboration to, to put a spotlight on that brand, but also to, to partner with people that we think, you know, have similar values and, and appreciation of what the culture here is about. I think as, as an artist with, with principles, <laughs> And as businesses with principles, I sure. think it's always awesome when you can find a yes in a collaboration like that. Yeah. You know, um, I get a little scared when companies mm. call me because I have a, I, 
I don't want them to ask me to put their name on my doors because right. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. There are ways that I can, if you know they wanted to sponsor something and we could make a plaque, but I can't put your name on the front of my doors. That's not what they're about. They're about Atlanta. Sure. Um, but these companies like Coca-Cola and MailChimp have understood that. Mm. And that has felt so cool to do, um, to form relationships with them in the same way that I have with uh, people from different neighborhoods. <laughs> you know, we can just call each other and, and bounce ideas. And that has been, it, it solidifies what I do. It helps me to feel like this is a real job. You don't have to pinch yourself every day, you know. Um, it, it, it's always an honor and it, I'm glad that that pressure isn't there. I'm glad that I just kind of took it off of myself and I just go, yeah, that's super cool. And I hope I can do the best possible work for them. And I hope they call me next year when I'm better than I was this year. <laughs> yeah, that's a great takeaway. And so you're seven years into this project, mm -hmm. Karen. Uh, you know, we usually ask people, what does five years uh, what does 10 years look like for your specific business down the road? Do you, do you have those, you know, you, you've already said you're a planner, so we know that you think about the future. Uh, what, what do, uh, is it, is it a one-year plan? Is it a three-year plan? Is it, do you have a 10-year vision for what this project might look like? Well, you know, COVID destroyed so many <laughs> <laughs> plans. Yeah. I don't have to tell you yeah. or anyone who's alive right now what it did. But, you know, right now I'm sitting in this gorgeous studio in Atlantic Station. And at this point, I should be about eight months into having open studios every other Saturday. Hmm. Uh, no one has come in here that didn't have to for contractual work. I don't, yeah. I would love to open my doors. And as soon as I'm vaccinated, I will. And I can't wait to show people this space. I can't wait to let people feel even more like Tiny Doors ATL belongs to them. I feel like there are a lot of people out there who've seen the doors, but when they see how they're made and when they see where the retired doors live on the gallery wall behind me, I think mm. it's really gonna help them see how much it does belong to Atlanta. I'm stoked about that. I'm stoked about meeting um, people. I just finished writing a children's book that I've been working on for two years about the doors. And so now I'm in some talks about getting that published. I'd love to have that out later this year, if not early next year. So yeah. those are, you know, I'd love to tour with it. It has a lot of Atlanta elements, but it's really about anywhere and everywhere. Um, so that part of it is exciting to me, you know, taking this, this little show on the road for a minute and, you know, I think that right now that's good. I'm here in Atlantic Station for another year and then maybe they'll extend it and maybe I'll move to another location in Atlanta. Yeah. And it's, I like that part of it too, but I definitely plan to stay here. Um, and I think that's, I think I try to keep it something that feels like I'm, I'm flexible. <laughs> COVID has kept me flexible. I was a little more sure. rigid about my ideas for the future until that happened. And I went, you know, I'm really okay with so much less. Yeah. At some point, you know, I had this huge gig booked for late March 
with, um, we'll call them a tournament that was happening in Atlanta. And I was so excited. So Me too. Excited. Me too. And that we were halfway into this gig and it was like ready to launch. Oh, oh man. And when that pulled out and my heart was broken and their hearts were broken. I mean, it was, that was rough for all of us. It really was like, now I just need to get through. I just need to have this studio and do what makes me happy. I got into um, making portraits of homes and special spaces for people. And that's been great. Yeah. Just doing what needs to happen to get through that time with some good perspective. You know, not everything can be the, you know, a big gig. Everything, yeah. just keeping it going, keeping the wheels on the bus. It was good yeah. perspective for that because I had had a big couple of years before that. <laughs> it was nice yeah. to just like, okay, what do I really need to get through? Well, that's great advice too. And just understanding that, you know, life is about peaks and valleys, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you can't, life doesn't, it, it, it's not always up into the, up into the right, you know, and being able to take those valleys, learn from them, but also, you know, in a lot of cases in 2020, it was just about surviving them, right? Yep. For so many people, creators, uh, especially, um, uh, and solopreneurs, uh, I think, you know, we probably could not have designed a better enemy than COVID-19 in our, nope. in our worst nightmares. Um, nope. So um, to survive those, uh, that incredible valley, and hopefully very soon be working our way back to a peak is, um, that's an accomplishment in of, its, of itself. So yeah, good job yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> Good job us. We're still here. Yeah, We're for sure. still standing. Without a doubt. But Karen, I don't want to keep you too too long, but I do want to say as you know, somebody who grew up in the Atlanta area, moved away and then came back after you had already started this. Uh it's been such a fun experience to Atlanta changed in so many ways in the years that I was gone, but I think uh Tiny Doors has sort of uh illustrated that in such a beautiful way in the individualism that we're celebrating in these different neighborhoods um, and really breaking Atlanta down into, um, you know, not this just one culture, but all these little sub, uh, sub neighborhoods and sub, you know, people groups all over the city that have great stories to tell. And I think you've illustrated that in a beautiful way. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. But, oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. absolutely. And if there's anything we can do to help moving forward, please let us know. But we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Last thing, Karen, for those who have been living under a rock and haven't seen your doors or haven't caught you on Instagram, how can people, how can people find your work? So if you live in Atlanta or nearby and you want to see my work in person, you can go to tinydoorsatl.com and there's an interactive Google map where you can click on one and it will take you there with directions. And if you just want to sort of stay along with what's happening, you can go to the Instagram at tinydoorsatl. That's awesome, Karen. Really appreciate it. And we'll catch up soon. Thank you so much. It's really nice to meet you. Follow Karen on Instagram at tinydoorsatl and head to tinydoorsatl.com to find more information about each of the doors 
their locations, and even commission your very own tiny door. Atlanta Born & Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you'd like to tell the story of your business, we would love to help. You can find us at connectatl.com. Make sure to subscribe to Atlanta Born & Brand in Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a five-star rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. And don't forget to check out our brand new Atlanta Born and Brand YouTube channel. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.